turn together to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Full disclosure, I'm working on very little sleep. So uh, I might be a little bit delirious at times. You just need to just graciously let that be okay. Um, This fall, uh, we've been in a sermon series looking at patterns of the world. And so now we enter into the third phase of this series. And um, we're going we're gonna to spend the next three weeks looking at patterns of the world in regard to like, our interpersonal relationships with each other. So we started off uh, wrong thinking about who God is. We did three weeks on that. And then we did three weeks on wrong thinking about who we are, like our own sense of identity. And so the uh, next three weeks, it'll be wrong thinking about what, what our relationships are supposed to look like to one another. And, uh, and I think that, that tonight's going to be a good one, especially like with a potluck and with all these things. I think it's, I think it's going to be a good way of looking at it. And, and we're gonna, so we're going to look at patterns of the world in regard to like what, our, what our friendships are supposed to look like. Now, a pattern of the world would be, it'd be just the general, just the attitude of, the, of just fallen humanity. People who are separate from God. And so everything is kind of centered around them. And so everything that they think just kind of revolves, revolves, revolves around what's best for the individual. And you put all those people together and there kind of just forms this, this way of thinking, this attitude that's out there. And that's what we're talking about, of not conforming to the patterns of this world. That's what we're saying. The way that, that people who are separate from God, who are not redeemed, those who are not uh, in Christ, the way that they think. In regard to friendship, I found it like kind of difficult to... To like narrow that down, um, and so here's like kind of the best way I, I could sum up the way that the world looks at friendship. Um, I don't think that that average pe- person would articulate it this way, but in general, it comes down to like a really just like a like a primarily social relationship. It's not very deep. Like your friends are are people that you hang out with, right? They're, they're people you go to the movies with. They're people on. On Friday night, you're like, what are we doing this weekend? You know, there are people who you get your feelings hurt if you're at home on a Saturday and you find out they did something without you. You know, whatever. Like that. That's what friends are. Friends are people that you you call them up, you, you keep up, whatever. You have inside jokes on Facebook, like you're whatever. That's what that's what your friends are. You the people that you hang out with. And a lot of people out there, they have friends, but but there's not a lot of depth to their relationships. They don't talk about meaningful things all the time, and, and, and it usually isn't exposed until somebody goes through a crisis, and nobody really knows how to handle it, because that's not what the friendship has been based on. It's been based generally on like just hanging out. Somebody go, so somebody goes through something difficult, and you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do, and people aren't sure what to say and how to act, and then sometimes they just kind of disappear off the map, and nobody goes to find them. You know, it's just, just kind of one of those, one of those things and, and like, it's difficult to stereotype the entire world and how they look at friendships. But I, but I think that's, that's a good generalization. And there are exceptions. But I think in general, it's primarily social. And so for, for Christians, what we're looking at is, is like, okay, if that's the pattern of the world in regard to friendship, and Paul says in Romans 12 not to conform to that, we have to look at... at what are some ways that we fall into that trap that we do conform? And then what does a renewed mind perspective look like? What does it look like inside the kingdom of God? 
Um, so the, the ways that Christians conform to that is by having the same exact thing. Is by having friendships that are primarily social and not very deep, you know. Where we just kind of, we hang out together, you know, or maybe you have like, you have like that group that you kind of do things together on the weekend or, or whatever. And especially like during football season, like it's the group that you watch the game with, you know, that kind of stuff. Or um, just the people that you hang with. The conforming comes in, not in the fact that we hang out together, that's fine. But it really comes in in that lack of depth, you know. That you have friends that, where it never gets real, you know, it never gets serious, it doesn't, whatever. And somebody goes through something and you're not really sure how to do that. So that's one way that we conform is we do the exact same thing. Um, but another way that we conform is, is sometimes Christians have that, that expectation, that purely, not purely, but that primarily social um, perspective on friendship, they have that, take that expectation, they place it on Christian community, and then they get mad when Christian community doesn't meet their expectations. In other words, uh, there are, are folks who look at the church as like a guaranteed like, group of people to hang out with on the weekends. Um, that, that that's what we're supposed to be doing together. And then they get mad when when the church doesn't provide that, doesn't provide a purely social deal, you know. And over the years, people have said, you know, like, we don't have enough events on our calendar. I'm like, are you lacking in things to do? Because I don't, I'm not buying that at all. We're, we're, we're maxed out as a, as a culture on time. So the last thing churches need to be doing is, like, overscheduling stuff. And usually when people say that, it's because, because they're expecting the church to, like, fill up their social calendar. When the church doesn't do it, they get mad. Uh, and then they pout, and they're like, I feel left out, and I feel this and this and this. And they get upset at the, at the church when the church is not supposed to be doing that in the first place, necessarily. The social stuff, it, it comes from that, but, but when we look at what, is, what, do, what do friendships look like inside the kingdom, social stuff is just a byproduct the church was never designed to provide somebody for you to go to the movies with or watch the game with. And so, uh, and I know people don't really want to hear that, and that's fine, whatever. Uh, you're going to hear it for a little while. So, uh, and then we'll go to eat, and it'll be okay. Um, so we have, to either, we have to both refuse to conform to that, to those like, real, like pretty shallow friendships, we also have to be willing to adjust our expectations. If we're looking at the church and we're expecting her to be something that Jesus does not expect her to be. So those are the two applications. Let's go ahead and say that from the beginning. Those are the two things. Refuse to settle for shallow relationships and be willing to adjust expectations if it turns out yours are kind of out of whack. And so in 2 Timothy, uh, this is a passage we've used Many times over the years, because I think it, it's just a, such a good picture of what a real, solid, biblical friendship should look like. And so, so if, the, if the pattern of the world is like purely, primarily social, then the kingdom of God perspective on friendship is going to be that it's primarily communal. And there's such a, such a big difference in a relationship that's based on hanging out, and a relationship that's based on what, on this communal, like we have Christ in common. Completely different. 
Paul and Timothy, that's the relationship that they had. And so what I want to do is I want to just bring out um, how many do I have? Eight. Eight things. So if you take notes, you can there'll be eight bullet points. And they'll each be one word. Alright? These are eight things that we see in their in their communal relationship that I believe uh, helps us see a better picture of what what this is supposed to look like. Let's, let's read the whole text, and then we'll go back and point out these eight things. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Okay? First of all, Timothy is not actually his child. He's not his actual son. But uh, Paul was Timothy's mentor, and as, as happens in any sort of a mentoring relationship, there's, there's just like something really cool that, that happens. And um, so he sees Timothy as like the son he never had, but not in like a weird way, in an awesome like Jesus-based way that God brought him someone to disciple. Um, so I just wanted to just make sure that was cool. So to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We see a lot. There's just a lot that's there. And that's just his, the introduction to his letter, which, which I think is very, very telling about what a, what a truly... like communal relationship looks like, what a, a communal friendship that's, that's based on having Christ in common looks like. And I think the reason why I think it's so good is because he's not really like to the meat of the letter yet, you know? This is just like the, the greetings and salutations part, which shows like how much meaning is there because that may not really be what he was going for, you know? It's just, you, you, you well learn how to write letters at some point. You have to start somewhere. And where he starts is this beautiful expression of, of um, that connection that's there. So I think it's really honest and really transparent. I don't think there's anything fluffy about it. And so I think we're able to see a lot of, of good that goes on here. So here's, here are eight things that we see in this text that I think paint a, a good picture of what we're going for in our relationships. The first one, uh, in verse 3, uh, the first word would be prayer. It says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Constantly in my prayers night and day. That, that's a lot of prayer. That's, a, that's a, a deep connection that Paul has with Timothy. You know, our, our charge that's on us is to pray without ceasing, you know. And that always like seems seems so daunting, you know. How do you do that? Uh, and I think it's it's because prayer is a lot more broad than we like to make it, you know. We think it's every head bowed, every eye closed, you know, that kind of stuff. And 
Um, I think it's, it's more broad than that. And I heard someone explain it this way at one point, and it makes sense to me, even though like, I'm not a husband or father. Uh, this guy was saying, he was explaining, he said, when I'm, when I'm traveling for work, and I'm away from my wife and my kids, there are times when I talk to them directly, and, and so they're on, they're, they're on my mind in specific ways when I'm speaking to them directly or whatever. He said, but even when I'm in a meeting, or even when I'm driving, or even when I'm on the airplane, so they're still on my mind and on my heart. Because your wife and your kids, they don't leave your mind and your heart. You know? And he connected that to praying without ceasing. That there are times when we're, maybe we're speaking directly to God. And there are other times where like, we're, just, we're, we're abiding, we're living in the kingdom. And there's, there's just all that, always that awareness of God's nearness and His goodness. And as we're going about our day, you don't go throughout your day with your head bowed and your eyes closed. But you can still be praying. And so I think what Paul is saying with, with Timothy is, I think he's making that, a similar connection of like, you know what, like, even though we're separate, there just aren't these periods of time where I just forget about you and whatever. And the reason why, is, I believe, is because he prays for Timothy. I mean, if you, if, if you struggle with, like, let's say, like our connection to India, like let's say that, that, that the kids are in those, those two children's homes that we support and all that, and if... If you're like, man, I just I, I forget about them sometimes, you know. Or I'll go weeks sometimes without thinking about Nabine and Matilda and all that. Well, you know how you fix that? You build a discipline into your life of, I'm going to pray for them every single day. When you pray for someone consistently like that, I think you end up, they're, they're on your heart, on your mind. Like a husband who's away from his family like we are with the Lord, like Paul is with Timothy, you begin to pray for them. And so if, if you have these connections with people, you have these friends, and you have Christ in common, and you're not praying for them, if you want your, your relationship to truly be inside the kingdom, what, what Jesus has in mind, and pressing us together and giving you, us those connections, then prayer is going to be a part of that. And so if you're not praying for your friends, I understand some people are like, oh, it's weird when we pray together. Okay, whatever. Uh, that's another, another subject. How about you just start by praying for them? And when you pray for them, you're, you're going to follow up on things. You're going to check in with them. And you're going to want that friendship to go deeper. You will not have a deep connection with someone um, apart from prayer. Like those, like you're, it's just not going to happen. So husbands and wives, if you want your marriage to get stronger... Uh, and you're not praying together, then start praying together. Your marriage will get stronger. If you have good friends and you never pray for them, and you wonder, like, and you're kind of sitting there being like, "Do is our friendship like kind of kind of that pattern of the world? Is it kind of social, not very deep?" Uh, if you want to go deeper with it, then you just begin to pray for them. The Lord will take it there. We see that in their relationship. We see it all over the place. There's so much evidence there. Sometimes we just need that reminder. Of, uh, hey, guess what? That's what we're supposed to be doing for each other. That's a fair expectation to place on one another. Uh, so that's the first one is prayer. Second thing we see, um, the second word I would write down would be recollection. Verse 4, he says, as, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. As I remember your tears, he's recalling something. 
We, we don't know what it is. Maybe it was their departure. You know, maybe it was a tough time that Timothy went through. We know some things about Timothy's life uh, that, that are, are painful, that maybe would be the source of tears. I, I don't really know. All I know is Paul did not forget about that. And sometimes in our friendships, uh, we, we forget stuff. And so if we're praying for somebody, you're praying for them, and let's say they open up to you about something, then that gives you something new to pray for. And so as you're praying about that new thing, you're so much more likely to recall it and to follow up on it. If, if, you've, been bringing, if you've been interceding for them before the Lord, if they open up to you about something and something they're going through or whatever, and you... You, you listen to him, and you, you're there, you're there, you're there. You walk away. You don't pray. A lot of times, there's, very, there's, there's a slim chance that we're going to be like checking on them the next day or a couple of days later or the next time that we're hanging out. And so that recollection is really important, and that shows that Paul was paying attention to Timothy. And how many times, let's be honest, are we, we're with people but we're also, we're also like with our iPhones, you know, or our droids, droid phones, <laughs> whatever, whatever. How often are we together, but we're not fully present, you know? And so where our culture is, we, gotta, we have to intentionally disconnect from some of those things, you know? We got to put the phones on silent. We gotta leave the phone in the car. We got we gotta separate ourselves from some, some things so we're the, we're fully present with one another, so that we're hearing what's going on, so we're able to pray, and we're able to follow up. And so that recollection that's not just some like as I remember your tears, blah blah blah. It's not some some little phrase he just threw in there or some like little detail. It's not very important. That's a massive thing. He's saying, look, I haven't I haven't forgotten what you what you've gone through. I haven't forgotten that experience because I've been bringing you before the Lord. And I remember that. So that's a part of what is supposed to be happening between us. There's supposed to be that recollection, that following up, those connections that are made. And prayer helps solidify that with one another. So that's a fair expectation to put on each other. And honestly, I, I'm terrible about, about this, especially, you know. Because I guess sometimes I'm in kind of like, I guess I'm like a typical guy of like, you sit down, you talk, we've... We assess the situation, figure out some next steps, and sometimes, like when that conversation's done, I'm terrible about taking that then before the Lord, and then back to the person later on to see what's happened. I'm so so guilty of, um, I guess, assuming that there was closure there, and that that's a painful thing when you open up to somebody, and they never check, they never ask, they never follow up, they never whatever. It's almost like the conversation didn't happen. And so if I've ever done that to you, I'm deeply sorry. And that's a part of what God is stirring in me about this message is the importance of, of, of prayer and how that leads to follow-up and that recollection and the connections that we have together. That's, that's a communal friendship. And that's what our friendships need to look like. Uh, the, th- the third word would be joy. So the back part of that sentence is, as I remember your tears, verse 4, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And this is not a long explanation, but this is joy. It's, it's that deep, 
like soul-filling goodness that comes in true community, in true like communal living, where when you see somebody, it's not just like, oh, I'm so happy to see you, but it's, it's deeper, you know? Like, and even if your exchange is like 30 seconds long, you come away and there's like, it's like your soul got filled up a little bit. You know, there's just that kind of goodness that's there. Um, and I believe some of that comes from praying and following up and all those kinds of things. That's how we build those connections. The fourth thing, history. Verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure dwells in you as well. It's, it's, not a, it's not a flippant detail that he knows Timothy's life history. That he knows his story. He knows where he's come from. Maybe this is where some of the pain came from. Because you know there's, there's no father figures mentioned in there. So maybe, maybe that's a part of Timothy's story that he shared with Paul at some point, and Paul's recalling that. That's such an important thing. He's, he's reminding him of his spiritual history that's connected to his family history. He's also saying, like, hey, I, I, know, I know you this well. And I was thinking about, like, how many, how many of our close, like, closest friends do we really know, like, their, their, their like, for real story? Even, even if you're, like, let's just isolate what story means. Let's go to, like, how did, you, how did you come to know Jesus as your Savior? And I wonder if, if we're all being honest, and if you had to name, who are your five closest friends? Could you recall all five of their stories about the most significant thing that's ever happened to them? As opposed to how many stories do you know about married couples and you know exactly like how they met and fell in love and whatever. I'm not saying that that's insignificant. That's super significant, but not as significant as when they met Christ. And so I think that this is maybe an aspect of our like communal relationships that can be strengthened is really learning each other's histories. And not just like when did you get saved, but what have you gone through? What are the battle scars of your life? That doesn't come quickly, you know? That's not an icebreaker in community group or something, you know? Like, that's, that's, that doesn't happen at that level. But it also, like, it doesn't just go there on its own. If left on our own, we'll take the path of least resistance, which is conforming to the pattern of the world, which is just to be purely social friends. But, if you go back to the top of the list, if you have communal friends and you know that they pray for you, and you know that they pray for you because they tell you they do, but they also they follow up. You're so much more likely to open up about the things you've really been through and how you're really doing. And you let them at times, you know, hold your arms up and support you through things. And so knowing each other's histories, that needs, that needs to happen. We need to know that. Some of the biggest things that have ever happened to us, a lot of times we, we play really close to the vest. And that's garbage. And one of the most encouraging things that, that Meg and I as staff, one of the, the best things that we hear about is on those nights when a community group like goes there together. You know, 
Like someone is like, all right, there's a part of my history I got to share with y'all, and this is what it is. Boom. And everybody's like, awesome. It takes the whole group there. I'm not saying that every week needs to be like, you know, like atomic bombs just dropping every single time, but for a group to be able to go there shows that prayer is happening and follow-up is happening and that trust is increasing around the room and that those are communal relationships that are happening. But let's make sure, if it can happen in a community group, let's make sure it can also happen like with your best friends, those closest to us. So Paul knows Timothy's history. Um, the fifth thing it would be encouragement. Same verse. It says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. He's basically just looking at him and saying, look, I just want you to know that I see this in you. I see this in you. And you need to know that. We talked about it in our community groups this week. About being the kind of community where like, in encouraging one another, not just like high fives and attaboys, like, real, like deep, meaningful encouragement. It's just a regular thing. Like, it's just not weird at all. And I think this is a great model for it because all you're really doing when you encourage someone is you're just saying like, hey, I just want you to know I see this in you. That's all that it really takes. And so what if, what if we got a lot more intentional in our communal relationships and just speaking that to one another? Just making sure that people know what you see That'll take your relationships deeper with one another, if that's really what you want. The next thing is to be number six, where it would be challenge. So verse six says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So at some point, Paul um, ordained Timothy and so like when, we, um, when we're commissioning a missionary or something like that and we bring them up to the front and the folks gather ar- around them and lay hands on them, that's not a new practice that goes back then. And, and, that, and I try to like kind of just faithfully um, make sure that we don't just do that without some explanation to it. And so when we lay our hands on someone as a missionary or as a, we've ordained uh, two folks into ministry here, we're saying like we see this in you and here's like physical proof. Like we're, we're putting our hands to this, saying we see that God is in this. And so he challenges him. He's like, look, you need to fan that into flame, you know. Like take a fire and it's not really going very well and you start to put some oxygen on it and sucker gets to going. And he's like, look, there's a gift that's there. God has done something in your life. He's already encouraged him. He said, look, I see the sincere faith. I see this in you. He's encouraged that. So now you got to put some oxygen on it. You got to do the. You got to do some work with the Lord. You you can't just let that sucker just sit there. So he pushes him. And we talked about uh, this week in in our groups um, about provoking one another 
into love and good deeds. You know, I love I love that that word provoke because it sounds a little bit like not violent, but like kind of like a bully. You know, like I'm going to provoke you. But have you ever had somebody sit down and just affirm the heck out of you and say, I see this, I see this, I see this. So what are you going to do about it? God's done all this. He's given you all these ways. He's doing all these good things. And you're just sitting there. Why are you sitting there? That's provoking. That's like it's poking the honey badger. You know, it's like, come on, come on. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And we need that from each other. Because again, we're, we'll naturally choose that path of least resistance. Like, yeah, God's made me this way, and He's really cool, and He really loves me a lot. And sometimes we need that person behind us being like, so, what are you going to do? And that's what we need to be doing for one another. That when you see someone who's kind of idle, that we don't just sit back and be like, man, I sure wish, sure wish uh, he or she would uh, get to doing something. I mean, God's made them so awesome. Well, go provoke them. Go challenge them. Go provoke them and challenge them into love and good deeds. That needs to be a part of communal living. Having Christ in common with each other. See, the pattern of the world would, would, would really say, like, you never challenge your friends. Like, just let them be who they are. And, but in the kingdom of God, we look at each other and we don't, we don't see and be like, I'm just going to let you be how you are. Like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you to be who you really are. I'm going to push you to be who you are in, in Christ. And so if you want to sit there and be a brat, then you sit there and be a brat, but I'm, I'm going to be all over you about it. We need those folks. And I understand why there's timidity about that and whatever, but the less we do it, it just continues... It, it, well, the more we challenge each other, the less weird it'll be. Put it that way. So that's the, the sixth thing that we see. The seventh thing that we see uh, is truth. So verse 6, For this reason I'm reminded, uh, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. Um, he doesn't just encourage him and let it sit there. He encourages him, and he challenges him, and then he like just like heaps this truth all over it, which to me just like solidifies everything that's that's just happened there. He's like, don't forget, you got this, the fear that's in you. That's not of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is is basically like making you into someone who is powerful and loving and full of self-control. Some translations say sound mind. He's pushing him to be who he really is in those three ways, by encouraging him and challenging him, but also equipping him with the truth. And so we have to be truth speakers to each other. Like we, we can't be like wimps when it comes to like speaking that into one another's lives. Because we all need to hear it. And nobody in this room, nobody in the church in general is like, no, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much got all the truth I need. I don't ever struggle with that. That's not how God wired us. He wired us to need that truth. 
both from Him directly and through our communities. And so having Christ in common, having, like, like that's a part of what a, an inside the kingdom friendship looks like, is that we speak that truth to each other. And so when you, when you push those seven things together, there's prayer, there's recollection, there's joy, there's history together, there's encouragement, there's challenge, there's truth. I think that it paints a picture of, of where Jesus is taking us. He's taking us away from friendships that are shallow and primarily just social, hangout, whatever. And He's taking us into a place of, of real depth. Relationships that are primarily communal. Primarily in Christ. The community is experiencing the common unity that we all have. I know there's one more point to go. I'm going to get to that in a second. So if you're a note taker, don't think I forgot. But I, I kind of wonder with those seven, uh, where, where, where it lands, like where it applies with those who are closest to you. And you know what? You don't, you don't need to have 60 best friends. You don't even need to be able to list who your best friends are. You need to make sure that when it comes to these things that are happening, and not just, these aren't, this isn't the, these aren't the only seven or eight things. But you need those people in your life. You need people that are praying for you, following up, and who know you, and they know what's going on, and they know your history, and they're challenging you, and they're encouraging you, and they're speaking truth to you. You need those relationships. And not only do you need those relationships, but you have to be that. You have to be that person. See, everyone, everybody that's a part of this church plays a role in in our becoming, in our becoming who we already are, and our relationships looking more like Jesus has designed them to be. And so we shouldn't sit back and and like apply this in weird ways. I think the application is going to come down to, am I being this faithfully in the people that God has given me connections to? So maybe that's your community group. Maybe you do have a group of best friends. Maybe that's your family. Maybe that's with some of your roommates or whatever. Maybe you have golfing buddies or fishing buddies or whatever girls do together buddies. Uh, those kinds of things. Are you, being, are you being that kind of friend to them, whether they're ring people or not? It doesn't really matter. Or is this the way that you look at what a relationship with someone, a friendship is supposed to look like? And if so, then be faithful in that. Steward that well. If you find that a lot of your connections are very shallow, then be intentional about letting Jesus deepen those things. If your expectations have been completely wrong, and you're like, man, I've been expecting the church to be something that Jesus never designed them to be, um, then adjust your expectations. Maybe realize, like, hey, you know what? In some ways, we're doing better than some people like to say we are. In other ways, we have a little ways to go. But this deal won't apply. It won't just like you don't won't, we won't stumble into this kind of like communal like relationship with one another. There's an intentionality there that goes on. And so the last thing uh, that I want to point out 
It goes back to verse 3. When he said, I thank God whom I serve. Uh, I think that there's a gratitude that's there. And there's a gratitude. Gratitude comes when, when we recognize that the relationships God has given us, those, those are a gift. It's a gift that He is glorified through, and it's a gift that's used to shape us, like we talked about in groups this week. That those people in your life, your family, your friends, those you're close to, whatever, like those people are a gift. And what do we do with gifts? We steward them well. And there has to be a gratitude that comes. We thank God for the gift that is one another. And so I think it's so fitting. And this wasn't manipulated. This was happening before this potluck deal was even decided. But how fitting that we, we will go from talking about this to collectively standing and singing and then going and sharing a meal together that the whole, a bunch of people like brought a bunch of food for. It's beautiful. And so gratitude. Awesome. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight, and um, thank you for such a gracious group of people that come in on Sundays. Um, and Lord, you know our desire is, I mean, nobody wants and chooses not, you know, shallow friendships, shallow connections with people, but when that's how, kind of how the world works, and um, when we see the challenges of living in true community, sometimes we are a little resistant. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful and to pursue these relationships with one another that are not, um, not centered primarily around social stuff and hanging out, but relationships that are centered around you and who you are, what you've done, and how you've pressed us together. Pray that you would help us see how to apply this. But for now, Lord, I pray that you would bless, uh, just bless our efforts as we stand here in a second and sing. That even the even the the physical movement of us standing together, and the movement of us sitting down to eat together, would remind us that there is a. There's a gift there that you've given us in being together. I pray that we would steward that well in all ways. All right, let's stand together. And uh, last two songs we're going to do are, um, they're both like corporate songs. And so let's, let's make sure that's not lost on us uh, together. And so uh, let's sing together.